Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Farhad Abazov, the CEO of Millennial Lithium. They are a lithium developer with an asset in Salta province in Argentina. It's been a difficult time for the last two or three years for lithium and a lot of investors have walked away from that space. So we speak to Farhad to try and understand his business plan and how he is going to get through this difficult period. They're at the point where they're looking for financing, having completed their feasibility study late last year. We also discuss his relevant experience and having built similar projects before. He tells us a little bit about some of the strategic partners that he is talking to and gives us a sense of when he hopes to be able to get this thing moved through to a finance decision. Enjoy the podcast. Farhad, how are you, sir? Good, good. Thank you, Matt. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Where are you hold up? I'm in Dubai today. Well, I've been here for quite a few weeks now. So. <laughs> really? Pretty, pretty strict lockdown there? Lockdown. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. And they're uh, yeah they're enforcing it uh, as only they can I'm sure. Um, <laughs> well, I, um, I know you're rushed for time today, so like let's um, kick off with the one minute overview of the business, and we'll kind of get into it, okay? Sure, Matt. Sure. Good to see you. First of all, look, um, yeah, we we've been developing our project, uh, our lithium brine project in Argentina, in Salta Province of Argentina, for the last what is almost three years. Um, I'd say this is probably now one of the most advanced uh, lithium brine projects in the world. We finished the feasibility study last year. We're now expecting the approval of environmental uh, assessment report by the government of Salta shortly. Uh, so after that, we'll basically be shovel ready, meaning that we'll have the mining permits in place. Uh, and at that point, we'll need to raise all the funding necessary to build this project. Now, uh, as I mentioned, it is a brine project, so the, it's a very low cost structure. Uh, and we think that once this uh, virus shut down, all the all the uh, restrictions that we've had in place worldwide basically are over, we'll be able to actually come back into the market to uh, to raise all the capital that we need and start construction. Okay, brilliant. Okay, now I usually start with understanding the business plan, which we've done before when we when we previously spoke. But I'm going to start this time with sort of run through the assets because you're quite far advanced. So I think it'll be a nice tidy. Um, process to go through and actually remind everyone what you've got today. So you're, you've done, you completed the feasibility uh, study um, last year. Um, you've got a pilot plant. And what's the stage of the pilot plant at the moment? Well, we, we're going to be commissioning it shortly. So it's ready. It's already been built. Uh, we've been operating uh, pilot ponds, evaporation ponds, uh, for the last was it almost 14 months now, mm. and we're almost on the cusp of commissioning the plant when the, the situation obviously got out of hand with uh, with COVID, and so we kind of delayed it now until this the whole thing comes down, and probably in the next few weeks we'll uh, we'll launch it. Okay, well, can we talk about some all the moving parts of you make? So you, you've obviously got the, the ponds have been operating fine. You haven't commissioned the pilot plant yet, which basically means get it up and running. So it's been built, but you now need to kind of ramp it up. Uh, so that's been slightly delayed. Where are you with regards to you know the conversations with the with the province and at federal level uh, with licenses, permits, and so forth? Because that's usually a big long pole so, in the tent. Yeah. So look, man, we were very advanced in that regard as well. So the the few uh, aspects to this. Uh, first of all, first of all, we obviously finished the feasibility studies, as, as I had mentioned. Now, the key thing about the feasibility studies, maybe I should mention here, is that it was based on um, traditional evaporation route. 
So that means that you use evaporation ponds, you use the processing plant at the end. Um, and this is a proven process, proven by three out of four operators in, in Chile and Argentina. Now, once we're finished with the feasibility study, and then, by the way, this is going to produce about 24,000 tons of lithium carbonate of battery grade per year. So it's a large project for 40 years. So it's also a very long mine life here. Now, in terms of actual relationships and all the permitting, et cetera, uh, with the uh, different branches of Argentinian government. Now, first of all, we needed to get um, what we call fiscal stability program. So that agreement with the government of Argentina, that is an agreement with both the federal and uh, provincial authorities, uh, basically fixes all our fiscal obligations as of the time of that uh, application. So that was done late last year. So that means your royalties, your taxes, both uh, corporate taxes at uh, provincial level, federal level, etc., they're all fixed as of that time. So it cannot be changed retroactively. Why did you do that? Uh, well, we did it for two reasons. A, um, you know, that, that was something that we're planning to do from the beginning, but we did it actually earlier than we had anticipated, primarily because of the macroeconomic instability in Argentina. Um, so we actually launched that process uh, much earlier on than people would normally do, meaning we, did, we started it way before the feasibility study was completed. And um, as you probably might know, um, you know, the situation has not been very stable there. And, and of course, the uh, new presidential, uh, new president got elected, um, although he's being very vociferously supportive of the mining sector. But obviously, generally speaking, the uh, economic situation has not been very rosy there. Hence, we rushed that process and we got it all done late last year so that, you know, we're guaranteed that we will be, you know, handling just those tax and royalties will not have any kind of uh, you know, negative surprise down the road. Um, so th that was a very important part. Now, in terms of mining permit per se, uh, obviously the key document there is environmental impact assessment report, which was again uh, completed and filed with the government early last year. Um, and we were expecting to receive the, the approval of it actually earlier this year as well. Again, things got a little bit um, uh, delayed primarily because of the presidential elections, because it wasn't just the federal level, there were also elections in, in Salta. Uh, so we had some change uh, at the ministerial level as well. However, the new minister is fully supportive. We basically expect that to be signed momentarily. Then, of course, we had the, you know, this uh, shutdown and lockdown situation in Argentina, including Salta. But regardless of that, people are still working on it. Um, so we expect that to be finalized in the next few weeks. So that will be another key, um, I would say, milestone before we get a full mining permit to, to proceed. Okay, so relation, relations are good, because obviously I think you've got a, not only government, but uh, they also had elections at provincial level as well, did they not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they had the new president at the uh, provincial level. So in other words, uh, Salta had a new president too. Um, and uh, with the new president, obviously, it's uh, quite a few ministers change. Um, but, you know, the good thing about SALT is that for the last, what is it, almost 10, 15 years now, they, you know, all the successive governments have been very supportive of mining. So this government, this new incoming administration is no different. And that is very important for us because, um, you know, if it happens, obviously, then there's a tremendous disruption for a lot of mining companies operating there especially when you're at such a critical juncture when we're supposed to get obviously the IR approval and then go into market to raise all the funding. Okay, so there's no, 
there's no kind of red flags with it around the permitting or licensing in terms of holdups that you can foresee because those are the things which you know spook you know institutions when you're going and having those conversations obviously so you feel comfortable about that as you can very be. much so and again um it's both um how should i say first-hand experience with the government including the new administration that came in but also you know if you look at actual statistics if you look at um you know the basically rating of salta as a mining jurisdiction and you will see that they have been ranking a high high up um among not only you know other argentinian provinces but also the entire region so that's why we feel comfortable and quite confident that uh, this will be done without any major hiccups or delays okay and and you may or may not have started some of those conversations because I, I you know it's been a sort of fairly turbulent time in the last three years in lithium um and the and the reason I want to discuss this is because, you know, when we were looking in Argentina back that, you know, 2012, 13, people were very nervous, obviously, about the regime back then. Things have changed. But, I, but has the mentality changed in that time frame? Should people feel comfortable with Argentina again as an investment jurisdiction? It's a great question, man. It really depends on what sector you're going into. Obviously, we're talking about mining sector here. And when you look at mining per se, um, you really have to look at each province separately. I mean, the, the mining jurisdiction in the country resides at the provincial level versus the federal level. So it's kind of difficult to make, uh, you know, a wide swiping kind of conclusion as to, you know, whether it has become a better jurisdiction or not. Uh, but if you look at each province, um, for example, we take Salta, then Salta has been a very good mining jurisdiction for almost uh, two decades now. Um, and it continues in the same vein, uh, and the same problem applies to some other provinces within Argentina. If you look at the country um, as a whole, meaning if you look at the economic situation of the country or um, uh, as an investment destination or as a destination for FDI specifically, um, you know, it, it, is, it has been a little bit uh, choppy, to say the least, in the last, what is it, seven to ten years. Uh, the previous president has been obviously very pro-business, he's instituted a lot of reforms and has changed a lot of things around. The new government is a little bit left of the center. Um, and so there have been quite a few questions about what kind of policies they're going to be introducing, what they will be doing, etc. Now, what I want to really focus on here is uh, what they've been saying so far. As you know, the, the uh, elections took place in late October, uh, so the president really didn't start working until basically early this year. Um, and so far, they've been making, uh, I would say, very positive uh, statements about both energy and mining sectors. Uh, they realize that these are the key um, sectors driving the economy. They understand that these are two major sectors that will attract foreign direct investment. So they want to keep them healthy. They want to make sure that they, um, they, you know, the conditions and the terms under which this investments may flow into the country are very favorable. Now. Um, they haven't really done anything uh, tangible, meaning they have not introduced any new reform or then any new policy um, or any kind of a new program. Um, these have been mostly statements made by the president, his, uh, his allies, his ministers and so forth. So we are waiting for, um, for any kind of a kind of uh, real action on their part. But to be completely honest with you, Matt, um, even if they don't do anything in specifically in Salta, we'll still be happy because uh, there, there's a strong support for the sector. Um, the one thing that we, I think most of the mining companies um, expect to see is of course, um, some kind of relaxation of the, of the rules 
uh, all the restrictions imposed on fiscal uh, situation, meaning on fiscal conditions uh, in terms of exchange, currency exchange rules, uh, repatriation of capital and so forth. So in that regard, again, they've been uh, making right uh, noises and talking about the need to specifically lift those restrictions imposed on the mining sector. So, so we're very uh, hopeful and confident that, you know, reasonable heads will prevail. And so far, again, the president has been very, um, uh, very, I would say, clear and uh, very transparent about his, uh, his intentions as far as mining and energy sectors are concerned. That's great. Um, I guess what I'm getting to is having, you know, gone through the process of agreeing a fiscal stability agreement in, and putting that in place, there's no way they can renege on that. That's fixed. that's exactly the plan. Got so it. that that's the idea behind that program. Absolutely, and, and that's that's signed, done, completed. Nothing more to do. It's been signed, completed, approved, and we announced it last year. Beautiful, very comforting. Okay, the other thing is about uh, Salter is it's in the middle of nowhere. There's energy costs. Now, last time you were talking to me about solar, and obviously one of your shareholders is a significant solar player. Where have you got to with that as an energy solution? Because it's very attractive. It's well, green, right? That's yeah. The socialist yeah. That, government that, that would love that. Our, that has been our only uh, source of power so far. Okay. So uh, we were the only company that built, uh, the only mining company actually built, uh, that built the uh, what we call hybrid solar plant, solar power plant, I should mm -hmm. say. Up in South Africa, right in the middle of nowhere, perfect place for mining, not necessarily very hospitable for living, but uh, in terms of mining, it's actually great in that regard. Now, we have other options there, too. We can tap into a national gas pipeline, which is about 50 kilometers from the project. Uh, but we intentionally made a decision to actually proceed with the, the solar option, uh, primarily because it made a a lot of sense, Matt. Uh, look, I mean, it, it, you're absolutely right. It's in the middle of nowhere, but at the same time, it's 4,000 meters above the sea level, very little um, precipitation throughout the year, um, almost 300 days of sunshine. So it would be almost sinful <laughs> not to try the solar power route. And that's why we went for, with that. And so far, it's been working perfectly well. Basically, the way it works, it's, as, as the name implies, it's hybrid. So the primary source of power is solar, but we also have diesel as backup. So we haven't used diesel backup at all in the last, what is it, almost 14 months now. Um, so it's been working perfectly well. And one of the uh, uh, you know alternatives that we're looking at when we build a full-scale operation is actually scaling up the solar power plant and see whether we can meet all our production re power requirements through the solar power plant per se. Um, from what we've learned so far, Matt, the technology has improved dramatically. It has, it's become really more advanced and actually cheaper too. So we think that now it is more realistic to actually meet all our power requirements through solar power plant down the road. And is that the cheapest energy solution for you as well? It is actually right now a little bit cheapest, absolutely, because it is, um, uh, you know, CapEx-wise, I would say it's, uh, it's comparable to if we were to build, let's say, a pipeline um, to, to tap into the natural gas pipeline or we were to extend the uh, transmission lines and so forth. But in terms of actual costs, you know, per unit costs, it will be cheapest. Okay. And, if, and we'll remind people that there's a kind of potash byproduct as well and that will add something to the bottom line once this thing gets up, up and running at speed. Yeah, that's a good point, man. So, the, you know, obviously this is a lithium project, but the, the brand contains quite a few other elements, including 
uh, potash, quite a bit of potash, in fact, is four to one. So in other words, a ratio of potash to lithium in the brine is four to one. So for each ton of lithium that we'll be producing, we'll also have four tons of potash. So as I mentioned, 24,000 tons of lithium carbonate per year, that translates roughly into about 100,000 tons of potash per year. Now, the feasibility study economics did not include the potash byproduct. Uh, you know, in other words, it did not take that into consideration. So that is a pure kind of a gravy on top of whatever we'll, we'll be doing with lithium. The plan originally is actually to um, stockpile uh, potash for the first few years and then start selling it regionally, maybe even in the country itself. Yeah. Um, to give you an example, right now, potash fetches between 200 and $300 per ton, depending on the region, depending on the quality and so forth. So uh, roughly, we're going to be selling 100,000 tons. That's on average about $25 million of extra revenue coming into the company. That's not to be ignored. That's uh, that's meaningful. Okay. No, not at all. And yes. can you just sort of remind everyone of your track record? Because again, when we spoke last time, you talked about three previous successes, and I think that might put into um, the spotlight your ability to actually assess a plan which is going to work for you now. So look, that's that's I think that's an important point because um, you know. Quite a few members of the current management team have been with me for almost like 10, 12 years now. So they have participated in some of these successes. So it's the same basic management team uh, that that is going from one company to another. You know, basically starting, then exiting, and then going to another one. Um, so the business model that we've always employed is pretty straightforward. We want to find a project that has the potential to become a world-class project. Um, and then we throw basically everything we got into it. In other words, we, we do not do multiple projects. We focus on one project at a time and we take it from A to Z until it's ready to go into production or we position it for potential M&A transaction. We've done quite a few things in the past. Uh, maybe I'll uh, just dwell on the ones that we've done in the public domain because we've done obviously quite a few projects privately as well. Uh, but the most um, the recent project was a potash project in Africa. It was a company called Alana Potash. Um, it was a Canadian listed company. And uh, we took it literally from uh, scratch to the point where it was ready to go into production. We got all the permits in place, feasibility was completed, EIR was approved. Basically very similar we've been doing with, uh, with uh, millennials so far. And then we got an offer um, from a large uh, potash company out of Israel called Israel Chemicals, and we ended up selling it to them for $170 million. Just to give you an example, we started that company with $3 million, ended up selling for $170 million. Um, before then, uh, I was a co-founder of another potash company. That one that was in a different part of the world. It was in Saskatchewan, Canada. Um, the exact same thing, Matt. Um, we, we started from scratch. We drilled it out. We confirmed the resource. Um, finished the feasibility study, got the permits in place, and then we got an offer uh, from a large German uh, potash producer called K plus S or uh, Kaido and Salts. And they bought it from, uh, from uh, this company called Potash One for $434 million. Uh, before then, I was involved with a uranium company. That was a big success. I was in the management team. Again, we took it from $30 million company to a $1.8 billion exit. It was called Energy Metals, uh, dual listed in New York and, and in Toronto. Um, again, if you look at all of these projects, Matt, um, not only is the business model similar, but also the approach, technical approach is quite similar, meaning that 
On the uranium side, we focus on in situ leach. In other words, this is basically leaching the pumping water, um, uh, you know, solution into the uh, uh, into uranium ore and dissolving and pumping up to the surface with potash. With both projects, it was solution mining. Uh, again, exact same thing: pumping water into the uh, ore body, uh, dissolving potash, pumping it up to the surface, and then processing. In case of the most recent potash project, we also used evaporation ponds because in that part of Ethiopia we had the climatic conditions that were favorable to the use of evaporation ponds. So exact same thing here. Now, the reason we chose those projects or that type of um, deposit or that type of processing was uh, very simple. We always look at the cost structure. We always look at the situation where the, uh, the project is low cost so that it can actually survive when the prices are not obviously in your favor. Um, there's no way for us to predict the pricing where there's no way for us to control it. Uh, we know that we have very short, you know, uh, I would say two to five years of a window within which you can develop these projects. So if your project cannot weather the storm within that period of time, we do not want to touch it. And that was exactly the thinking behind getting involved with a millennial because we said, look, you know, there are tons of projects in the world, especially, at the, you know, and we're talking about 2016, everyone is chasing a lithium project, but we wanted to focus on Brian at the end. We wanted to focus on the project that can survive if the lofty uh, lithium price starts declining, which was the case um, in the last, what is it, has been in, in, you know, declining for almost 18 months now. And, but despite that, the projects like ours can survive that type of environment because the, the you know operating costs are low enough to actually you know, attract investment and then, of course, build it and produce at, uh, at attractive uh, margins as well. There's no time like now where that model stands out as smart because it, in bull markets, a lot of companies can survive. They can, they can get by. They'll make enough money. They, they can be promoted. Um, and I'm, we're looking at uranium companies at the moment and you know, the, the price recovery there is going to take a little bit longer. But the companies with the low cost profiles are the ones that people should be looking at because it allows the fundamentals to actually um, be more robust. And as you say, if things do get difficult, they'll be there long after um, the rest have gone. So, no, I, 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 I mean, obviously, I like that as a model. But it's been a tricky time for you guys because the lithium market uh, has had a tough time for the last three years. I, I, I keep saying it, but um, it's only because I want to get into talking about how you take this business plan and position yourself in the market uh, within these, you know, battery uh, mineral ecosystems in, you know, Europe, US, China. Um, these are long um, supply chains that are being built with billions and billions of dollars. How are you going to hope to insert yourself into one of those supply chains to allow you to have sensible conversations around, uh, around your financing? Because the cost of the financing can dramatically change your fortunes. So what are the conversations that are happening at the moment? Because you're talking about you know, putting yourself in a position to have those conversations, but where are you today? So look, I mean, the, the, the category of companies or strategics who have been talking to us um, in the last two or three years has evolved as well. So in other words, two angles here or, or two groups of silos that we're talking to. One is the, the folks who are interested in the project 
In other words, either they want to be large investor or they want to actually participate in the project, meaning they want to be part of the uh, become producers themselves. And then there's an offtake angle to this matter as well. And on the offtake side, we also look into parties um, uh, who can not only just do a deal with us, so to speak, but who can, who can also bring financing to the table. And that's very important. There's some European parties, some American large, uh, lar different large American organizations we're talking to. Some of them can actually uh, come in with direct investment in the project or the company. Others can bring their own um, kind of the, the, the country's exit banking investments or, or debt investments as well. So we think it will be a combination of that. Obviously, you know, if there's an M&A transaction, that's a completely separate situation. But I'm talking about if we proceed uh, with construction, with funding and construction on our own, then we will probably put together this type of a group that will help us fund this and then take it to the next step. Now, obviously, we're not doing this by ourselves. We engaged Credit Suisse almost 12 months ago now to help us with this. Their London and uh, Toronto offices are helping us. So it is very important because um, they have global reach, global network. And thanks to that, you know, we could actually get in touch with all these groups that are quite interested in, uh, in our project. So I, I get I get that that ecos those ecosystems those tens of hundreds of billions of dollars of ecosystems are very interested in getting their supply chains sorted out, um, you know. And we haven't touched upon you know players like you know Oracobre and other big current well maybe not currently but have been up until now big big producers in the lithium space able to turn the tap back on and turn the volume of supply into the market and that may affect pricing etc and you know and perhaps there's a conversation for another day I wouldn't mind getting getting your input on that one but I want to understand the why the confidence that has been shown in you by these big groups as a you know significantly near significant near term low cost producer where why that confidence hasn't translated into the marketplace are your shareholders or people looking at lithium investment at the moment because it's a bit of a dirty word in Australia. It's not getting too many people excited because they, they have a view that lithium price is not going to do anything anytime soon. But for retail investors, family offices, high net worths, you know, who are either invested in you or looking to invest in you, how do they get comfort? You know, what should they be looking to get out of this, you know, long walk towards production? What's the upside for them? Yeah, look, I mean, the two things, you know, confidence in, in the project and uh, the ability of the project actually to either get to production and obviously start generating revenues and profits and hence uh, build tremendous value into the stock or a potential M&A uh, on the way there. So uh, so the way we look at it is very simple, is basically the you know, joint venture or strategic partnership with a strong party be it as a party that will finance this or a party that will both finance and help technically, will actually remove a lot of uh, risks for this project. One, obviously the financing risk, and the second thing is of course technical risk. And I think that will really set us apart from other peers who will not be able to show either. Um, now to give you a specific example, um, Matt, uh, you know, one of the projects that we've done, one of the companies that we've built in the past, we actually brought in a strategic who gave us an offtake, take or pay type of an offtake, invested up to about 20% of the stock. And within about a year, they bought the rest of the company out at 50% premium. So this is the way we see things developing from now. And I think now with uh, kind of a 
getting whacked by both the virus situation and of course the lithium decline, the lithium price decline, this may be a good opportunity for um, the, both our current investors and of course the new shareholders to get involved with the, with the, with the company. So I, I get that there are various structures that you can you can look at and you've got to assess the market at any one time. But do you because you, you've mentioned the M&A component twice during this conversation it, and, and given your track record um, of, you know, de- delivering an, an exit point for the companies that you work for, have you got a preference and where do you think the, the real maximum upside lies? Would it be just sell out now? get a good price, move on to the next thing, or get this thing into production with a partner uh, and build this thing out, you know, possibly a bigger, even bigger enterprise? Yeah, it's a very difficult question to answer, Matt, um, because obviously there will be a lot of factors coming to play at different junctures of that process. So, um, you know, to put it in perspective, the way we see it is that if we take today, for example, we don't think this is the best time to do M&A transactions. Um, we don't think that we'll be able to get maximum value or the value that we think the project deserves. Hence, we're leaning towards doing a deal, whereas we can start kind of rebuilding the value that the company had in the last, let's say, 18, 24 months, and then bring it to the point where both the potential acquisitor um, and, of course, the market will see the value uh, or the, you know, the uh, newly built value in the project. And I think that the um, JV or strategic partnership w- may actually take us to that point. Now, again, that doesn't mean that it will, will go all the way to production. Um, it's quite possible that, you know, midway somewhere, let's say, you know, well, once the JV starts or strategic um, partnership starts, somewhere there will be uh, a lot more confidence on the part of potential acquisitor and they will make an offer and take the company out. Um, or we will go all the way to production because let's say our long-term vision has changed at that point where we see that in order to completely or, you know, fully materialize that value, we have to actually hit production. So I think we're open to all of these permutations at this point, Matt, but, but it will be really dependent on, uh, on the particular time uh, when we make that decision. So at this point, again, because um, I think both, the, the, you know, the economy at large and, of course, the sector are not really in the best sh- shape to strike a, uh, I would say, a, a full deal, meaning that, you know, a complete exit. So we'd rather stay with the project, uh, you know, rebuild that value again and then try to exit at that point. Hey, Farhad, can I just talk to you about the effects of COVID in terms of the psychology, buying behavior of the general public? Do you think that's going to have a big impact on you know, the, the battery companies uh, and their ability to predict when the market's going to recover? Well, again, if we put COVID aside, I think, you know, the demand picture for, um, for obviously EVs and, you know, storage facilities, hence for lithium, um, uh, is, is actually pretty, uh, pretty strong, very robust. Um, so I think we're pretty safe on that front. Um, now, in terms of actually um, the company's current position, and I think, again, what differentiates us from the rest of the pack, so to speak, is two things. One, you're absolutely right. You know, all of these development companies are caught in a situation where, you know, the, the, there's not a lot of financing available. So what that means is that we have to survive this period, but not only do you have to survive, you have to actually continue with, our, with your operations. And, uh, and that's a key advantage that we have. We raised enough capital when the market was hot so that today we can 
not only survive, but actually continue with what we've been doing all this time. In other words, our development process is still ongoing. We haven't really delayed anything. We haven't put anything on the back burner. Um, which means that when the time comes to make that decision on financing, be two, three months or six months from now, you know, the ones who are basically ready to take the money and strike the deal and start construction will be the winners. And that's exactly where we stand. That's exactly what gives us tremendous upper hand compared to almost anyone else, because uh, A, we have the cash to continue with our operations. In other words, we're not desperate. We don't need to raise capital today. And that also helps us or strengthens our hand at the negotiating table with all these potential strategics as well. So that means that by the time we get to the point where we can raise all that funding, we can bring in all the strategics, strike an offtake deal, we're a better position because we could actually negotiate with them from the position of strength versus, you know, with a hat in hand. And uh, I think that that's what's going to be happening in the next few months, Matt, and when you will see a lot of lithium as well as unfortunately many other commodity companies, development companies will go belly up um, or will be uh, on their knees, so to speak. And that's when we'll be able to strike a deal and actually continue with our operations at that point and hopefully build even more value. That's fantastic. I mean, that, that's what I was getting at. When I'm looking at lithium companies, I'm looking at companies to me who are, you know, in terminal decline because they're nowhere near being able to get into production. They're trying to create monetization events through promotion rather than fundamentals. And they're unable to raise the most basic of capital to, to progress the company. And, it, you know, to me, that, that that's, you know, huge, huge red flags everywhere. And as, like I say, the question was, given the advanced state that you're in has is that advantage to this discussion sounds sounds like it is but look farhad appreciate your time thanks very much uh, for going through that it's good to well, speak thank to you, you again thanks it's been, a lot it's been too long uh give us a call when you've uh, got some more exciting news appreciate it absolutely thank you very much Matt. take care thank you for listening if you've enjoyed the interview why not subscribe to cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.